1: So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
2: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world.
1: We cover
0: the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. Every afternoon, I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin.
2: And I'm David Gura. Listen to the big take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is The Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on VCEN, the sports betting network.
4: Wednesday edition of the Lombardi Line coming to you from coast to coast. Stormy Bonetoni here live from Circa Resort and Casino in downtown Las Vegas. Michael Lombardi out at his office in Jersey. And we've got a great couple of hours on tap. In about 30 minutes, we'll have VEASAN's own Adam Burke join us. Talk a little college hoops, which is where we're going to start the show as well because a, a little upset happened yesterday. We'll get some college football talk in as well with the new 7 plus 5, four, five plus 7 format rather coming out in college football for the college football playoffs. Stuart Mandel of The Athletic will join us. And also an hour or two, Harry Gagnon in his usual weekday spot, host of the Against All Odds podcast. But, Michael, after all the talk about UConn yesterday, they end up going down in a big way to Creighton. Shout out our guy Tate Frazier for calling it on the program.
5: Yeah, what he said, you know, they're 0-21 against, uh, you know, on the road. I mean, he called it. And, I look, when you shoot 54, almost 55%, uh, from beyond the arc. Right. And, you know, and you shoot 50, excuse me, 50 percent beyond the arc and 54 just in the pin side. I mean, how are you going to lose? I mean, think about it. That was incredible. They led from start to finish. And I think everybody kind of now might have a little bit of hope instead of just mailing it into UConn. I, I think teams and I, I've learned this in basketball. You have to have these kind of games to be a good team. Like, you just can't, like Gonzaga, go all the way into the tournament and not have some resistance. You, you've you got to be able to fight resistance. The coach needs resistance. He needs to be able to message his team and to handle it. And I think, you know, going into Creighton, Omaha, which is a tough place to play, they've got a great program there, I think this is the best thing that could ever happen to UConn. Yeah,
4: yeah. and as Tate told us yesterday – uh, UConn has never won in Omaha. Now 0-4 all time. They closed a two and a half point favorite against Creighton, end up losing 85-66. The final score. They've lost their last 21 games on the road now against AP top 25 opponents. So the last time they won a road game against an AP top 25 team, 2014. They, they've also won two national titles in that time. So to your point, uh, you know maybe they need those, yeah. those types of losses because obviously coming off a national championship last year against my Aztecs was which still hurts, but. But they're a fantastic team, and now so they lose a they lose a game like this. Purdue loses that wonky game to Ohio State after they fired their coach last Wednesday, and now Circa has put up a fun prop here, Michael, that you can bet oh UConn or Purdue to win the national championship. So one of them needs to win at plus two sixty for the yes, the no minus three thirty. So it's basically Purdue and UConn versus the field. Who you taking?
5: I think I might take that one. What about you? I mean, what would you do? I think i take that one. I like that. I like. I don't know if you can. I hate to say this to Elliot because it'll devastate him, but I don't trust Purdue come tournament time. I really don't. I trust UConn. I trust UConn oh. because I think Hurley really appreciated losing this one. He'll go back home to stores and basically be able to rant and kind of get his team back on track and You know, look, McDermott, the Greg McDermott, the coach of Creighton, he's going to have to kind of, he's kind of say, "See, guys, I told you." But can Mm. you continually shoot at that high percentage to think you're going to win? I don't know. I like that one, Stormy. I mean, we've had a bunch of people on this week about college hoops, and nobody's really said, "You know, this is a team that could really do something." There's a lot of ifs and buts, and nobody, everybody's kind of a little bit scared of of Connecticut now obviously Tate Frazier said yesterday that North Carolina was another team to consider
4: yeah, a team that didn't even make the tournament last year coming back with a vengeance, and you know we—I understand not trusting Purdue in the tournament, but we can't—we can't bring up this, these things with Elliot listening in our ear. Fairly Dickinson is know, still just too soon. It's too soon. Uh, let's <laughs> let's get into a little bit of NFL talk. We'll we'll come back to college hoops when Adam Burke joins us. Talk about tonight's slate. There are a couple of of good, interesting games in the ACC and the SEC. Nationally ranked teams in action, but news or noise is always evident. Even in the off-season, actually maybe more so in the off-season, this is important. So let's run that open and get to the headlines of the day.
1: Is it news?
3: Corleone is a man who insists on hearing bad news immediately. Or just noise. Are you gonna act like this is news? Just noise. noise. Let's separate the impactful from the insignificant with one simple question. News or noise?
4: I feel bad that every day on the show, we're talking about Justin Fields in some way, shape, or form. But that's where we're going to start once that's again news. here today. You got to. Uh, news. According to a report from Albert Breer, the Bears are meeting over the next couple of weeks to finalize plans at quarterback with the expectation they will have a plan in place by the time they are out there in Indianapolis for the combine. News or noise, Michael?
5: Yo, there's, this is definitely news. They've already got the plan in place. They know what they're going to do. I, mean, I think they, they know they're going to go to the combine and they're going to sit quietly with teams and say this is what we're looking for and, and then teams are going to say this is what we're willing to pay and this is what we could do to go forward. To me it's a little bit more of a tricky trade in this sense. You know, We had Randy Mueller on yesterday and Randy is of the same opinion that I am that they may not. There, there's no number one pick out there for them as what's been reported. For me though, here, here's the issue is because he has one year left at a reasonable number and then you've got to pick up the fifth year option what are we doing here Like, there's got to be some form of protection for you if you don't pick up the fifth year would you want to give up a second round pick for a one year player I don't think so so I think there, that is the complication within the deal.
4: It's the trade and the fact that you got to pay the guy as well coming up. Um, although after he dislocated his thumb, you know, it was a one in five start week six. Once he came back from that thumb, he was significantly better. Uh, he was running the football a lot more, had a lot more success. So team saw what maybe he could be. And, you know, while we're on the Justin Fields track, the odds for where he'll ne- take his next snap have dramatically changed over the last 48 hours, Michael. Because since that, the social media sleuths discovered that he doesn't follow the Bears and he follows a couple Falcons players on on Instagram, his mm-hmm. odds to go. To Atlanta went from plus 550 to now an odds on number at minus 130. Speaking of the Falcons, which leads us to our next news or noise headline. During an appearance on the NFL report this week, Falcons general manager Terry Fontenot said quarterback is a top priority for them this offseason. I don't think that's shocking anyone based on what we know of Desmond Ritter getting benched multiple times during the season, but news or noise, Michael?
5: Well, it's completely news. I'm sure Arthur Smith sitting in Pittsburgh in his office over there on the campus of University of Pittsburgh saying, well, wait, why weren't we doing this last year? (laughs) Like, why all of a sudden do we need a quarterback this year? You guys left me with Ritter. Now they're all going to blame Arthur. Arthur Smith, he better have a truck full to line up all the things he's going to get blamed for in the next six weeks. I mean, it's just going to be brutal. It's going to be brutal. But, yeah, I mean, you'd have to be seriously. You'd have to not pay attention. To Atlanta now. Look, here's the thing about Atlanta. You got to understand something. They don't draw. I mean, do you ever watch their games? If you're on the on the on the YouTube, like, there's a lot of empty seats in that mm. place. And you know, getting a local hero like Fields and who played high school football in Georgia. He went to Georgia originally. Maybe that could entice their fan base because their fan base is not, I would say, engaged at all in the team. And you know, I don't know who would engage them. But it would be interesting. Now, is Zach Robinson, who they just hired as the OC, is that going to make him more comfortable? We shall see. But, yeah, I think the the fact they need a quarterback is news. They've needed one for two years.
4: Yeah, and I think, like, I I mentioned the odd stuff as kind of a joke about social media. All that to say, I think Justin Fields would be a great fit there and, to your point, would be an exciting piece for them looking to jumpstart an offense that hasn't finished in top 10 in points scored since 2018. Now, Michael... I am so excited to share with you some of the best audio in the history of audio. Raiders head coach Antonio Pierce was on the rush with Max Crosby this past week, and while he did give the Chiefs their props for winning another Super Bowl, he also said Vegas is motivated to run it back against the Chiefs. Listen to this, because it's it's pure gold.
1: Who's last time to beat the Chiefs? (laughs) These dudes, you know what I mean? Like, they did that. Yeah. So it's okay. It's cool. You like like I told them like we're running back. We'll yeah. see them again. They gotta see us, we gotta see them. Yeah. yeah. And we already gave in we already given a recipe of how to do it. You got the Jordan rules and we, we I'm calling now from now on as long as I'm here the Patrick Mahomes rules. So you remember when Jordan was going through it with the Pistons, all those guys in the 80s before he came, Michael Jordan, the Air Jordan, the Pistons used to whoop his anytime he came to the home, elbows, yeah. feeling them, Love taps, we touched them, we in the head mentally, physically, emotionally spiritually i'm touching you
4: lots of layers to that but let's go to the first part of it news or noise that ap and the raiders have the recipe of how to beat the chiefs
5: that's a lot of noise that's a <laughs> lot of noise that is a lot of that, that's a truckload that's the arthur Smith the truckload of noise right there yeah i mean you've got to be kidding me i mean did he watch how they changed look they didn't get they completed one pass after the first quarter <laughs> It wasn't until the last drive of the game that they were able to run the ball. I mean, you know, Antonio Pierce is becoming a showman. And if that's what you want as your head coach, go ahead. You know me, Stormy, I'm not in that I'm not that showman guy. I like strategists. I like tacticians. I'm not I'm not of all that. He keeps talking about this and he keeps putting out this challenge to Patrick Mahomes. I don't think you. I think you want to let a sleeping dog lie. Just let him lay over there. Like, don't go pet the tiger. That's it was a line I used to use all the time when Mr. Davis was out on the practice field and standing there, and some stupid coach would walk by him, and then he'd get his his butt ripped for it. And I said, you're an idiot. Like, why would you would you ever go pet a tiger? No. Well, why would you walk by him? He's a tiger. You're gonna get your butt beat. Like, seriously, why would you stir up the Chiefs? Like, they're yeah. laughing. They're laughing at him. I understand. You know, and I, and I think to me, there's got to be more substance to this than just rah-rah. Well, We're not in high school.
4: Exactly. I understand hyping up your team and trying to like give them some confidence, but like, let's not also be delusional. We're like living in Delulu Land. The recipe is not completing a pass for three quarters and having two defensive scores in seven seconds. If that's the recipe, good luck. <laughs> like, it's gonna be. He's insulting.
5: That, He's insulting us. What? He's insulting our intelligence with this stuff. Ugh. Like, be be a head coach. Be a strategist. Keep your mouth shut. Don't put the gauntlet out. I mean, to me, he's just becoming P.T. Barnum. He's going out there selling stuff.
4: Well, let's see. You know, we we still have yet to see him be the full-time head coach with his staff, so I don't want to call him out too much. But uh, that statement, all of the things that he was saying on the podcast were just like, a bit much, uh, especially it's not like you won out at the end of the season. I get that you were over 500, but you still (laughs) lost the game three, nothing in that time. Let's not forget. We've got to hit the break. Plenty more Lombardi line coming up next, including exit interviews for the NFC West.
3: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer, Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on V the sports betting network.
4: Thanks for hanging out with us this afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure you go check out the new and improved Vsyn.com. We've got a fresh new look, enhanced navigation. Just the perfect way for you to find all of our info and educational content. Plus, we've got a couple great articles out right now. Vison writer Tyler Shoemaker detailing potential value on the Futures Board for both the men's and women's NCAA tournaments. He pairs historical data with team profiles and his personal ratings to determine potential bets you can make right now. Get ahead of the madness at VSN.com today. This is the Lombardi Line. The show, as always, presented by DraftKings. Michael Lombardi and Stormy Bond and Tony with you. And, you know, just like teams in the nfl do exit interviews we're doing exit interviews with teams this week and we've already covered a couple of divisions over the last couple of days today we're going to do the nfc and afc west divisions and let's start with the nfc west and from the top down because I'd rather be shortchanged on the Arizona Cardinals talk than I would on the 49ers <laughs> talk you know I mean it's, this is still me we're talking about at the end of the day Michael um, but let's start with the Niners division winners after a 12 well and 5 should. season
5: as, as Millie said to you on the show as well it should be right I mean we know that What it's gal. no big deal we got to handle the 49ers go ahead let's w- do w- it. where are we headed here
4: all right so made well, it I- to the Super Bowl but did not get it done obviously fallen overtime to Kansas City 25-22 a strong season overall Michael they were favored in every single game, including that Super Bowl, but did not get the ultimate win that they need. So what, in your opinion, kept them from reaching their full potential and what will it take to get redemption this coming year?
5: What cost them the game essentially was their inability to rush the passer in the two Super Bowls that they've lost in the fourth quarter. I mean, this is, you know, this is fact. Give up 21 points in the fourth quarter to the Chiefs. You know, give up the points and give up a 24 play drive and two drives in the fourth quarter and then the touchdown and overtime to the Chiefs again. So they're close. They're close, but they're going to have to figure out a way. And I think a lot of this has more to do with scheme than it does with we've got to improve our talent place. Look, they have to get better players. Everybody does. That's that's easy to say. But what they really need to do is they need to be able to have more multiplicity within their, within their defensive play sheet. They need to be able to run some zone blitzes. They need to be a more effective zone man team than they were. It's going to require investing in some corners. But to me, they're close. They really are. They just need to stay on course and alter a little bit adjust what they do. I think they could definitely use another runner to help them bang it a little bit give them a little bit more power. I don't think they should pay for that. I think they should find that in the open market. I think they should bottom fish for free agency. They can do that. A little bit like when the Eagles traded for LaGarrette Blunt and they or J- J- Ajay, they signed LaGarrette Blunt and they had J- Jaji. That combination really was tough to defend. So, I think that. I think it to me it really comes down to what is going to happen with the coordinator, and I think they're taking time off. They're in no rush to hire the defense coordinator. We've seen no interviews. We've seen no speculation other than Staley's name's been bandied around, which doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of how the scheme fits within him. So I think that what Kyle's doing is taking time off, kind of regrouping himself and maybe talking on Zoom, talking to a few people but then kind of coming back from his vacation, which I think they get back next week sometime and then kind of attacking it, get ready for the combine.
4: Yeah. Take your time, get that higher, right. Also though, just how important is this coming season as a whole? When you think about the contracts that they're going to have to pay and Brock Purdy still being at a, at a cheap deal for them for now.
5: Yeah. Well, I think to me, they got to make I mean, the IU contracts, the hard one, because You know, you really need an outside receiver because you're so prone to throw the ball in the middle of the field between the numbers. You've got Kittle as a great inside receiver. McCaffrey's an inside receiver. And Debo, for all his skill, is an inside receiver. So, you know, it's a little bit like how many guys can you pack into the lane, right? You need some three-point shooters. And Ayuk gives them a three-point shooter. He can spread the field for them. And it's going to be interesting to see where this leads to. And he's going to get paid. He's a really good player, averaged over 17 yards a catch put the ball in the end zone he can win one-on-one on on the outside you know and and look purdy can get the ball out there too this isn't like purdy's limited to throwing inside the numbers so be interesting look the niners are good on their cap they'll figure it out but what they have to do is that oh that 22 draft which i don't think people realize the one they got purdy in which saved them but it also hurt them because they didn't get any other players from that draft
4: Let's go to the Rams. You called this maybe the best coaching job of Sean McVay's career. They started the season three and six, but end up going on that seven and one run, end the season with double digit wins and a playoff berth. how do you unpack the Rams season and how can they take another step forward next season?
5: Well, I think the Rams are in a twofold problem, right? So the Rams have to find their quarterback of the future. Right. They spent last offseason trying to trade Stafford. They weren't sure. They they drafted Stetson Bennett. We have not seen or heard from Stetson Bennett from anywhere. We don't even know where he is, right? So that fourth round pick is gone. They need somebody who's gonna be the quarterback of their future. And they need to continue to add what they did you credit. Credit Les Snead. Credit everybody at the Rams. They've done a great job of adding young talent to their team. That needs to continue because, remember, they're behind in a lot of drafts here now, right? They haven't had first-round picks forever. They're going to need to find more players like they found this year in terms of the draft where, you know, they get in the third round and they get young, you know, and they're able to find some of these really good rushers and turner. And then, they, you know, they get Puka, you know, as a receiver in the fifth round. I mean, this is what's going to take for them to get it. And I think they just need to add another draft like they've had another offseason. You know, they're going to have more cap room. But they've got to figure out what's going to lie ahead because Stafford played, you know, he played a lot. He missed, what, two, one game? But, you know, when he missed that game, it all fell apart on him. And they're going to have to keep him healthy. He played really well for them. 24 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. You know, he threw the ball over 500 times. He was good. He was really good. And and I think, to me, if they don't burn that time out in the Detroit game and they're better in the red zone in the Detroit game, they might have won that one.
4: Uh, in Seattle, Geno Smith didn't have the same year like he did that earned him the contract and comeback player of the year. They were 5-2 and two, though at the beginning of the season. People were talking about how they might actually supplant the 49ers and win the division. But then they had to play San Francisco twice. The Ravens, the Cowboys, a number of tough teams. And they saw a number of players get injured as well. In all, Michael, they played 11 games against teams with winning record. Went 3-8 and eight in those games, culminating in a collapse that ended up costing Pete Carroll his job. And now they bring in Mike McDonald. So what will be priority 31 most important for Mike McDonald to do this offseason to get Seattle in a good place?
5: Well, the same thing that's going to happen in San Francisco. Mike McDonald's going to bring versatility to the defensive scheme. Think about this, Stormy. This defense allowed 46.3% conversion on third down. They allowed 4.6 yards per run in the game. They allowed 11.2 yards per attempt, pa- yards passing per completion. They gave up 23 touchdown pads. They were not good on defense all year. And I think they have better defensive talent than they displayed. I think, to me, they need to be more versatile with their scheme They need to do some different things. And McDonald showed last year to all of us in the league as a young coach, he was able to get that accomplished. And you got to applaud him for that. So I think that's step one. Step two is they got to stay healthy at running back. Walker, uh, Charbonnet, those guys, they need to be able to run the ball. They want to run it. They need to have balance in their attack. They just can't say, okay, Gino, you're going to throw it around the lot, right? And Gino does a great job. Gino only had nine interceptions last year. Gino does a good job protecting the ball. They lost both their offensive tackles during the season, which was problematic for them. They were able to adjust. I mean, remember, when you're bringing Jason Peters at 40-plus years old off your team and he's playing in games, you're in dire straits in the offensive line. I really like Seattle. I'm going to be really excited to see what they do. I like McDonald from a technical standpoint, from a scheme standpoint. I think they're better defensively than we think they are. That secondary can grow. I think it's going to be interesting to see where they place the books, place their over total number uh, I, I, or their win total. Mm-hmm. I think they're an over candidate team for me.
4: How about Arizona? Uh, how did you cap Jonathan Gannon's first season as head coach? Obviously didn't have Kyler Murray the first half of the year, one and eight without him, three and five once he came back. Looking ahead to next year, what stands out?
5: Well, I thought they did a really good job. I mean, you know, they they were able to run the football effectively. I mean, they averaged five yards a carry in the run game, and everybody. And, have, and there were times they didn't have a quarterback. I mean, they had you know they had no quarterback playing it. You know, they cut Dobbs, and then when Murray came back, and then he got hurt, and then he played. So for me, you know, they got to get Murray to play better. I mean, Murray averaged six point seven yards per attempt. You're not beating anybody with that, right? You're not going to beat anybody with that, so they've got to get him to play at this level where they keep continually calling him a franchise quarterback, but yet he doesn't play to the franchise level. I mean, let's face it, Josh Dobbs and him, the numbers are relatively similar. Eight touchdowns to ten, both had five interceptions. You know, he was more accurate than Dobbs and made more plays, but... If if I'm having a conversation with you and I'm mentioning Dobbs is similar to Murray in the same (laughs) sentence, what does that tell you?
4: Yeah, that's that's uh, that's not the way that the Cardinals would like that conversation to go, right? That's for sure. Four and thirteen, the final record there for for Arizona. We got to hit the break.
5: All this stuff we're talking about, it's gotta it's gotta change quickly.
4: No question. Um, we're going to hit this commercial break. Adam Burke is going to join us coming up next. We're going to force him to talk about the big games of the day, but he'll give you some money makers and conferences you've probably never heard of as well. We'll be right back.
3: This is the Lombardi line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here's your host, Stormy Bonatoni on v the sports betting network.
4: If you're looking for a betting edge on college hoops, the VEASAN experts have you covered. Become a VEASAN Pro subscriber today. You'll get our daily best bet emails, 24-7 video access, the upcoming college basketball betting guide with bracket breakdowns, plus... Full access to VSIN.com with our exclusive betting splits on every single game. VSIN.com slash pro is how you can subscribe. Again, that's VSIN.com slash pro. And speaking of an edge on college hoops, nobody better to help us talk it over than Adam Burke, managing editor here at VSIN.com. You can catch him on Sharp Money Tuesdays. I'm also trying to use my, my powers of our friendship to con him into being regular on our show this summer. Welcome in, Adam. How are you?
2: i'm good i'm good yes i will do a regular guest spot yes absolutely
4: see it worked michael i'm a miracle worker
2: yeah
5: i know i appreciate it you know you're so charming stormy it's hard to say no to you so you know if i would have asked him he would have said no i get back to the website so You know, uh, but, you know, you're charming and you're able to get things done, which is makes it covers up for a lot of my sins. So thank you.
4: I appreciate that. Again, please pass these compliments over to my husband because I don't think he's ever called me charming. But Adam, welcome in. Let's get into a little bit of this basketball talk. UConn, you know, we had so much talk about them being the number one ranked team in the country, the separation between them and everybody else being a pretty good gap and then they end up losing by 19 to Creighton yesterday. But Michael said earlier, you know, sometimes these top tier teams need to have a loss like that in the regular season before conference tournament and NCAA tournament time. What did you take away from last night and UConn season as a whole to this point?
2: Well, what I took away from it is that Creighton shot the lights out in that game. (laughs) 1.45 points per possession, far and away the most that UConn's given up in a game here so far this season. And and prior to that, I mean, they had gone six, seven games without giving up just a point per possession. They had been really shut down defensively. They weren't in that game. And look, you're going to get blown out when you make three, three pointers and their team makes 14. It's going to happen. And those things do happen in college basketball. And, you know, sometimes you have your worst performance of the season at a bad time. And for UConn, I don't know if it's a bad time or not, but it certainly was a game that caught everybody's attention. Going forward, though, I'm not worried about UConn at all. They still scored in that game. They still had 66 points over the 59 possessions that were played. They just had a bad night defensively and Creighton hit everything. It happens. How do they bounce back against Villanova at home this weekend? that'll be a little bit more of a test for Dan Hurley's team to see if they're able to shake off that bad performance.
5: When you watched it, I mean, you're you're so right. I mean, who's going to shoot 50% from the three-point line, 54% from inside the the line, and and continue? But is there any vulnerability that you see with UConn, and what team do you think would have the best chance? Circa put out a a prop that said UConn and Purdue – Take that or the rest of the field. Would you be interested in that, Adam?
2: I mean, I I would never, you know, hold myself down to two teams. And also, I don't trust Purdue at all whatsoever. I don't trust Matt Painter. He's been horrible (laughs) in the NCAA tournament. He's not a guy that I trust. Rick Barnes from Tennessee is another guy that I just don't trust. So almost on principle alone, I would never be interested in anything that has Purdue or Tennessee, you know, making really significant runs in the NCAA tournament. Look, I mean, Creighton's a jump shooting team. They, they don't really go inside a whole lot, so it kind of neutralizes what Donovan Klingon can do defensively for UConn. They like to take a lot of jump shots, both mid-range and three-pointers, and they're going to be a really good shooting team at home. You know, Teams that are jump shot oriented typically aren't as good on the road because it's an unfamiliar shooting backdrop. You got distractions from the home fans, all those kinds of things. So to me, I think it was just kind of a perfect storm last night for UConn. Can anybody beat them in the tournament? Sure, without question. I mean, it's a one-game sample size. Variance happens. Anything can happen. We've seen 16s beat ones. It could definitely be a thing. But I don't have long-term concerns about UConn. They're a very, very good team on both ends of the floor. They're a very well-coached team. They're in a good conference, so they're battle-tested. I fully expect the Huskies to make a deep NCAA tournament run. Would I pick them to win it? I don't know. I would need a really favorable price to do that. But I think they will make another deep run.
4: Currently 5-1 to one at DraftKings to repeat the UConn Huskies, that is. Now, there are a couple interesting games tonight from a viewership standpoint in the ACC and SEC, and I'll, I'll subject you to talking about them in a moment. But I know you have a Big South play of the day, something in the Missouri Valley. I'm ready for it. So uh, what's your, what's your favorite bet of today's slate?
2: Yeah, I will say I'm at something of a disadvantage at this time of the year in college basketball talking about top 10 caliber teams because I don't bet on a lot of those games. I look for a lot of value way down the board, including a game today like Presbyterian and Winthrop, where you've got two teams that get to the free throw line a ton. Winthrop is actually number one in the country in free throw rate. Both of these teams get to the rim at a very high rate. Uh, Winthrop is 28th in the country in the percentage of their shots defined as close twos. Which means dunks, tip ins, layups, stuff like that. And Presbyterian's a top 50 team as well. So even though this game probably won't be played at that quick of a pace, I think we get a parade to the free throw line. I think we get a lot of high percentage looks at the rim. Not to mention teams are shooting 38.1% from three against Presbyterian in Big South play. Winthrop should score at will. I think Presbyterian does their part as well, I like over 145 and a half in that game and lean a little bit towards Winthrop minus nine as well.
5: Illinois State upset Indiana State. <coughs> Excuse me. And now you've got, you love Northern Iowa minus one and a half against them. You, you, you feel like they're going to, Illinois State will have a letdown?
2: Yeah, I think a letdown could certainly be a possibility. I also just think Northern Iowa is the better team in this game. And, and the overnight line movement suggesting the same thing. Illinois State opened a slight favorite, one point favorite at some shops. Northern Iowa moving out to a one and a half point favorite. Northern Iowa gets to the rim a lot more, which is a big part of my handicapping. I look at shot selection a lot in my handicapping, and also Northern Iowa forces teams to the three-point line. Illinois State's only shooting twenty-eight point six percent from three, so if they get pushed out to the perimeter, they're going to have a lot of empty offensive possessions. Whereas I don't think that they can stop Northern Iowa in this game, so I do like the Panthers laying one and a half on the road here over the Redbirds.
4: The Americans, another one of those conference that you, conferences that you follow, what? led you to Tulsa taking the seven at Wichita State tonight?
2: Yeah, so this is the same concept as a play that I had yesterday, which I took Ohio minus three and a half over Kent State, and Ohio was able to cover the spread in that MAC matchup. This is the same thing to me. When I look at Tulsa, they do not do well against teams that are better than them. And so, you know, for me, when they take on a Wichita State team, it's on their level, then I think they're in a pretty good situation, especially getting seven points. The Ohio game was the inverse of that handicap where Kent State was beating up on all the bad teams, struggling with the good teams. Ohio's a pretty good team. So I'm kind of looking in terms of the context of the schedules that these teams have played here and how they've fared in those games because we have a lot of conference play data points now. I think Tulsa getting a seven-point head start against Wichita State is just too much. Wichita State's not that good of a shooting team. Tulsa turns the ball over a lot, but Wichita State doesn't force turnovers. Tulsa's a better shooting team. And again, they're stepping back in class a little bit again after getting blown out by some of the better teams in the AAC over the last two weeks. So I think Tulsa plus seven, a good play here tonight in the American Athletic Conference.
5: As you go through this, Adam, you do a great job of, uh, I mean, these you know, in these teams on lower level. Is there one team that kind of no one's talking about that you think could be the Florida Atlantic of this year's group?
2: The, to be the Florida Atlantic, I think, is, is a little bit tricky. I mean, I think James Madison is a really, really good team out of the Sun Belt. They kind of came on the radar very early on, though, with their win over Michigan State early in the season. But they're a very strong team. They're very, very good both offensively and defensively. Uh, Morehead State is a team playing in a really bad Ohio Valley Conference, but they're a top 40 team in two-point percentage offense and defense. They're really, really efficient with the basketball they, sh- they play shutdown defense, albeit in a bad conference, but if they get a team that's not as gifted offensively in the tournament, Morehead State is a team that could absolutely pull an upset or two, and then if McNeese State is able to get out of the Southland, they're a team that a lot of people like, coached by Will Wade, who was previously at LSU. Uh, they are one of those dangerous teams in that 14 versus 3, you know, 13 versus 4 type of format.
4: Let's go to a couple of those those bigger games tonight. We've got Miami getting six and a half against number eight Duke in the ACC. A top 25 SEC clash as well. Alabama laying eight and a half against Florida. They've had three double-digit wins against Florida. A high total in that one, 174. But I know people are still interested in the over because of how high-paced both of those teams play. Anything intrigue you in the two marquee matchups on ESPN and ESPN2 tonight?
2: So Miami is really tricky because they've been extremely inconsistent this season. I think Jim Laranega is an excellent head coach. I, you know, they brought back a good amount of their personnel from last year's team that made a deep NCAA tournament run, but they're just not trustworthy enough this season. So nothing for me in that Duke and Miami game. I do like Florida a little bit in that Alabama game. Alabama's metrics, they've been a metrics darling all season long. Now they're starting to put the wins with it. But Florida under head coach Todd Golden, who was previously at San Francisco, They're a big team in terms of getting to the rim, shooting threes, taking smart shots, pushing teams to the outside, stuff like that. I think Florida is definitely able to hang in this game, maybe even give the Crimson Tide a little bit of a scare. So I do like the Gators getting points here tonight in that one.
4: Yeah, Florida ninth in adjusted offensive efficiency, second in offensive rebounding as well. You're the bomb. Thank you so much for doing this. Appreciate you. Great Great work, Adam. Adam.
5: Thank Thank you. you
4: and I'm so excited. We got him locked and loaded for more regular spots coming up this summer because as you saw in that shot of him for our radio listeners that maybe don't have the television feed. He
5: loves baseball. Loves
4: baseball. Ton of baseballs in the background of his his setup at home. So um, we'll get a lot of his insight to the MLB season as that is right around the corner as well. Um, That music means it's time for another quick timeout here on the Lombardi line. But when we come back, our exit interviews will continue from the NFC West a little bit earlier now to the AFC West and the defending championship champion Chiefs. What might the future have in store for them? We'll be right back.
3: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals, each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what?
6: to start listening
3: this is the lombardi line with former nfl executive michael lombardi now here's your host stormy Bonatoni on vsin the sports betting network
4: This week on DraftKings Sportsbook, new customers can deposit $5 and get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet loses. Download the app and use the promo code Vsin when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook. The crown is yours. We are continuing our NFL exit interviews here on the Lombardi line. Michael Lombardi and Stormy Tony with you. On to the AFC West and the back-to-back champion Chiefs, Michael. Uh, in a year where it seemed like they were vulnerable. In a year where it seemed like finally the offense isn't going to work. Well, guess what? They found Mm -hmm. a way once again, and they go on to win a Super Bowl. What were some of your biggest takeaways from how this team made it work? And could they be in line for a three-peat?
5: Well, look, they won two Super Bowls without a number one receiver, which is basically unconstitutional. If you listen to anybody in any offseason, you have to have a number one receiver. But they have some cap room. They're going to redo Mahomes' deal to get even more cap room, which will probably get them Chris Jones back. Could they afford to sign Leggera's Sneed? I don't think so. I think that's going to be a really expensive one. And I think what you'll see with the Chiefs are, a lot of what happens to good teams in the league is they're able to find players at economic value because guys want to be part of winning teams. So I think they're going to find a receiver. They've got to handle the offensive line, right? Donovan Smith, who wasn't great for them, is a free agent. But they don't, do they have a backup left tackle? We shall see. Willie Gay played really well for them on defense, free agent. Are they going to bring him back? So they've got a lot of issues in terms of some of their own players. But I think ultimately what they have to do, if they bring Jones back, they're going to keep looking for receivers. They're going to bottom fish. And they're going to be able to say, "Look, we can play any style now. And if we start to add more skill, we'll be even better. So I, I think to me, the future's bright,
4: yeah. if i if I was making decisions with the chiefs, seeing and knowing what we know now about the Kansas City Chiefs, offense and their ability to adjust and change and do whatever they need as long as Patrick Mahomes is still their guy under center. Just keep investing in that offensive line and keep investing in your defense and you'll be just fine because they find a way to make it work whether it's schematically or just because Patrick Mahomes is your guy. Now, the Patrick Mahomes era has not been kind to basically the entire AFC West. He's led them to six of their eight straight AFC West titles. It's been particularly unkind, however, though, to the Silver and Black because while Mahomes has been the quarterback, the Chiefs are 10-2 and Against the Raiders. uh, And I I know that now. But they have the magic formula. That's what I was going to say. Now that they have Antonio Pierce, they have the recipe, they (laughs) have the blueprint. So, what did you learn about the Raiders this year in the time, especially under AP, and what we can expect from them uh, this coming season?
5: One of the disappointing things for me was, and I'm friends with Josh McDaniels, my son worked there, but I will say this. One of the disappointing things for me is when Dave Ziegler and Josh went there, they did nothing to really improve the defensive front, the offensive front. They they ignored the lines. They signed. They did something that I would have never done, which is trade a lot for a receiver and pay them. You know how I feel about that. And so for me, the secret formula for beating the Chiefs really is about upgrading your defensive front. We know Crosby's great. And then being able to improve your offensive line, which isn't great, you know, when they lost, when they lost the left tackle for a lot of the season, you know, they missed that. They had to move Illuminor over to left tackle. That wasn't really very good, and they have to move pieces. They can't get control of the line of scrimmage. Everybody's going to want them to re-sign Josh Jacobs. And Mark Davis, the owner, loves Josh Jacobs. He sees him as the guy who represents the Raiders, which I think is true. But how much is that? Is that worth $14 million a year? I, I don't know. I mean, I think that becomes really expensive. So... I think they've got to go back to, if you say, what is the Raider way? The Raider way is dominating up front, Upshaw, you know, Shell, these great offensive linemen that are all in the Hall of Fame, Howie Long, Chester McLaughlin, all these great defensive linemen that they've had. That hasn't been the case for a while. So when I listen to people talk about, oh, they've got to go back to the Raider way, the Raider way is offensive and defensive linemen being great there. And then of course naturally they got to figure out this quarterback situation and I think to me it's going to be it'll be someone like a Russell Wilson who they won't have to pay very much. They have 35 million of cap room so they've got the money, but I think they're going to try to find a guy if they're not able to trade up in the draft.
4: And you mentioned it earlier when it comes to this Raiders team. There's a lot of talk right now. And it's it's fun right now when you're too not much. out there on the field. It's, and he, AP certainly sounds like a guy that will make you want to run through a wall. But if the substance isn't there, you're just going to run into that wall. And that's not going to be good for anybody. So uh, I hope that it does turn into substance, though. I would like the team that is in my city to have a little bit of success. Uh, not too much, though. Not too much. You know, Still believe in that Battle of the Bay mentality from the from back in the California days. But... Yeah, it'll be interesting. And you mentioned quarterback and Russell Wilson. The Denver Broncos are going to be next on our list here for their exit interview in the AFC West. It was a much better season than what was his statistically worst season of his career last year with Nathaniel Hackett, now under Sean Payton. But with Russell Wilson inevitably going out the door, it's going to be a hefty cost for this Denver Broncos team still, even with him not on the roster. What's next for them under Payton in year two?
5: Well, the good news is you're not very good. So that doesn't mean that you're not worried about losing some of your own players, right? I mean, that's the thing. When, you, when, you don't, when you're not a good team, are you really worried about losing a guy? I don't think so. So they're, they're 24 million at currently over the cap now. And that doesn't include what they do with Wilson. So they're going to spend most of their offseason getting below the cap and trying to piece together the team. And we know this we know that Sean Payton has made it very clear that he's going to try to get a quarterback that he, whether it's Jarrett Stidham, whether that experiment worked or not, I think he's going to want to try to. They spent money last year I don't see them spending money this year because they're going to have to get below the cap. They're going to be able to reduce some contracts, but who would, who would they want to bring back that they feel like is worthy bringing back? I don't think that's the case. I think this is going to be a, a team that gets younger and younger, and they're going to have to improve in the defensive front. They're going to have to get get to a chance where they can find the quarterback of the future because everything else doesn't matter. If they don't fix the quarterback, where are they going?
4: This next one, you can tell me if this is a hot take or not. Every year, there is one team in one division that goes from worst to first. I know that Kansas City has won eight straight AFC West titles. I like the Chiefs to go – I mean, I like the the Chargers to go from worst to first and mm-hmm. supplant the Chiefs in the AFC West with Jim Harbaugh as their head coach. What do you think?
5: Well, I think to me you're right. I, I like that idea because I think, as I've said, he gives them something that they need desperately, which is toughness, which is physicality. But here's what he walked into. He walked into 45 million of cap mm. of cap issues. They're going to have to start trimming players and they're going to have to get below the cap, and they're going to have to get young, which fits him perfectly, right? This fits him ideally because he'll get young players to come in there, and he'll and he'll play young guys. They're going to have to do that. They got the quarterback, which they can do. What do they do with Eckler? I don't know. They got two receivers. Keenan Allen is still very good, you know, and, and Mike Williams, unfortunately, has been hurt too often, and that's a problem, but they have to get below the cap, and and once they do... To me, you know, for all the money that they put in their defensive front, are they really good enough? All the money they put in in their offensive line, are they good enough? I think that's the real issue. You know, Mark Davis hired Tom Telesco at the Raiders to become the general manager because he was really impressed with the Chargers' talent on their team. You know, I, I don't see as much talent as Mark Davis did because I think they've got guys that maybe didn't play to the level that the talent indicates, and that could be true. Harbaugh will get more out of them, there's no question.
4: Yeah, I'm not naive to the fact that this is a Chargers team that's got a lot of problems, and as you said, they've got aging and expensive talent, if if that's still what we're okay with calling them, but I, I think exactly what you said there last, is that Jim Harbaugh will get the most out of these players, and I think he'll get the most out of your franchise quarterback, who has done nothing but set record after record in his little amount of time here in the league, but is not a winner, and he has a sub-500 record in the National Football League. This team has expectations year after year, and they never seem to find a way to reach them. I think they reach them with Jim Harbaugh, and if the Chiefs...
5: I do too. If
4: the Chiefs play anything like they did the majority of this season next season I think there's an opportunity potentially for LA
5: I do and look one thing about it is the, the, you know, the Chargers lost so many close games last year because they had no mental and physical toughness they couldn't find a way to win the close okay. games I think they will I think they'll be a tough team to play. I think he'll have them ready to go, and he won't back down. Mm -hmm. His competitive spirit that he demonstrates on a daily basis will transcend itself right into what he's doing there. And, I mean, that team, it'll become contagious. They will feed off of that. And I think ultimately that's what they need. That's why I like the move. I I, I don't like the move because he's my friend. I like the move because I think he's exactly what they need. He, they need a tough guy. They, they lack toughness badly.
4: Yep, we did our list yesterday of Michael's top five off-season coaching changes. Jim Harbaugh was number one on that list. And uh, it'll be interesting to see ultimately how things come to fruition there. I, I don't know what it is about Jim because from the outside looking in, kind of an odd duck, right? But he's got some sort of witchcraft <laughs> and wizardry that just makes it work. Wherever he goes, uh, we gotta.
5: Uh, odd duck is an interesting word. Yes.
4: <laughs> We're gonna take different. a time. I would out. say
5: different, not okay, odd. Okay, maybe I that's would say nicer. Different.
4: I didn't mean it to be disrespectful. It's just, it, he's just—he's unique.
0: MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season, and so are we. I'm Tori Deal, and I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All stars for is.